You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 117, Copy Fests. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of You Don't Know Flat. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Copy Fests. The old copy parties we used to have back in the day where people uh, swapped software, copied. Don't copy that floppy. That wasn't our rule. We copied every floppy. Uh, before we begin, uh, I'm going to go through a few orders of business. Uh, this podcast is actually different than uh, most of the other ones I've done. Actually, there's uh, one one thing that makes it totally unique. Uh, For the first time ever, this podcast is being recorded on my iPad. I am not at home recording this podcast. I am sitting in a hotel room in Washington, D.C. The cable in this hotel room has about 40 channels. Uh, Most of them are standard def. So I have my choice of Seinfeld reruns or Family Guy reruns. uh, Or at least 20 channels are covering the... uh, current political race, uh, none of that, well, I won't say none of that interests me, I'll always watch old Family Guy episodes, but uh, I decided this would be a good time to test uh, my new portable setup, so what I have right now is uh, my blue Yeti microphone running into my iPad using the uh, camera adapter that they sell for the iPad, which actually allows you to plug USB devices into the iPad. I know that's one that Apple haters uh, will always tell you. Uh, can't be done plugging USB devices, but there are actually several USB devices with this small adapter that will work. And uh, the Blue Yeti microphone is one of those. I'm also using Blue Fire 1.5, which is a free uh, recording program for the iPad. Uh, the only um, hurdle I had to leap over, and this is something that I've talked about in the past, is that the Blue Yeti requires more power than the iPad is able to put out. So the Yeti is actually plugged into a powered USB hub, and the hub is plugged into the iPad. So, oh, and someone's at the door. Well, that was odd. That was a pizza delivery for the wrong room, and that's uh, <laughs> one of the unique uh, uh, unique things that can happen while recording a podcast in a hotel room. So I wasn't expecting that interruption this early. Uh, you may hear um, the air conditioner pop on and off. You may hear people slamming their doors, and I am located right outside of a very busy train track. Uh, so... Uh, this episode's not going to be uh, perfect from an audio standpoint, but uh, I've got the time and I've got the story, so here we are. Uh, I've had a few emails, people asking me uh, what's going on with com. Hasn't been updated very much lately, and the truth is there just hasn't been much to write about. 
I uh, don't write about family and I don't write about work. And uh, that really, uh, those two things have been taking up the majority of my time lately. So I'm still writing uh, at least three times a week, between three and five times a week, week, week at retroist.com. So uh, if you enjoy my stories about retro things, movies, toys, uh, things like that, you can always uh, check out retroist.com. I also recently spent some time setting up uh, a Telnet BBS known as the Gas Chamber. You may have heard of it if you've listened to some of my podcasts. So uh, if you have Telnet on your computer, you can go to a DOS prompt and type Telnet space bbs.robohara.com and you will be taken back in time to uh, the Gas Chamber BBS. So um, there's about uh, 10 or 15 users on there right now. There's more users on my forum, which is at uh, thegaschamber.robohara.com. It's kind of confusing, I guess, that both those things are uh, the gas chamber. But uh, in different ways, they both embody the uh, old spirit of the gas chamber. But uh, if you want to check either of those things out, that's uh, bbs.robohara.com. That's the Telnet BBS or thegaschamber.robohair.com, which is the forum. Um, that's pretty much all I have for old business. So uh, assuming no one else uh, knocks on the door, tries to deliver pizza to the wrong door again, we will continue with this episode of You Don't Know Flack. I want you to close your eyes for a minute and imagine yourself downloading uh, an MP3 file, for example. Not a gigantic one like this podcast, but um, maybe a single song, like three meg in size, something like that. While you're imagining that, uh, I'm actually going to download one here. Let me click this. Now I'm going to take you back in time, back uh, 30 years to 1982, with the release of the Commodore 64. Now, my first modem was a 300-baud modem, which transferred data at 300 bits per second. And a single side of a Commodore 64 disc holds right around 180K of information. Now, to download 180K at 300-baud, it took close to half an hour. So, when you do the math, that 300-meg MP3 file that I mentioned would have taken about 23.5 hours to download. By the way, the one that I clicked on was already done downloading before I was done with the first sentence. Now, of course, there were no 3 meg games available back then, uh, but there were lots of games that took up one, two, sometimes three or four sides of a disc. So, obviously, trading software at 300 baud was pretty frustrating, and not to mention there was no resume back then, uh, not in the early days anyway. So if your file got cut off, that was just time wasted and you had to start over. Now, I only had 300 baud for a very short time before upgrading to 1200 baud. Um, but 1200 baud is not exactly four times faster than 300 baud. You still had a certain amount of overhead. Uh, and so on the Commodore, it was closer to around 30 minutes for each side of a disc. Uh, so like I said, that, that's better speeds, but still not great. And obviously there were certain limitations uh, to transferring files uh, over modem. One of the biggest one was that copy protected discs couldn't be sent uh, across a modem. So there, there were only certain things that you could uh, upload and transfer. 
So copying disks back then was obviously much faster. Um, now, it still wasn't a perfect system. Whenever you uh, – what, what I would do or what a lot of us did back then was uh, you would find people online, uh, online being BBSs back then, not the internet, and um, you would set up a trade uh, in person. Now, the first of all, you have the logistics of just two people meeting. Uh, obviously, one of those people is going to have to travel to the other person's house. So um, most BBSs, because of uh, long-distance phone calls, most BBS users were local to one another. So it wasn't like you were going to have to travel to another state. Um, but, you know, it might be across the city. It could be half-hour drive, an hour drive, something like that. Um, and back then, uh, when I first started trading with people, uh, I wasn't old enough to drive. So not only did you have to involve coordinating time with another person, but now you're going to have to get someone's parents to drive you across town, drop you off at a stranger's house, you know, which seems uh, more weird now than it did back then. Um, now, with the Commodore, because the Commodore had a limited amount of RAM, it's Commodore 64, so a lot of people say, um, or a lot of people believe that that was 64K of RAM, but actually you had uh, closer to 32K of RAM uh, a lot of that uh, memory was, was ROM that was used up right off the bat. And because it had uh, so little RAM, to copy a disk, uh, you couldn't hold the entire contents of a disk in RAM. So if you only had one disk drive, you would have to swap disks six or seven times. Uh, so it would read a little bit from the original, then you would put in a blank. Then you would put the original back in, it would read a little bit more. Then you would put the blank back in, it would write a little bit more. So um, six or seven times of doing that. Um, and obviously if you messed up, if you left the blank in there twice, uh, you know, your copy was going to be ruined. Or if you left your original in and it overwrote it, uh, your original could be ruined. And back when I started, uh, floppy drives, in the early days, I think floppy drives retailed for around $300. So not everybody had two floppy drives. I got my second drive when they had dropped down to $200. Now, there were programs that would bypass the error checking process. Um, FastHackem had a two-drive nibble, which would do a bit copy in about a minute. Or if you didn't want to do the write verify, then you, there was a 35-second copy. But if you were going to go to someone's house, now, if you wanted to really be proficient, what you would do is take your computer system over to their house as well. And I did that many times. Uh, now, we're talking about now I'm dragging my Commodore, a disk drive, if they don't have one, a spare monitor. So it's several trips in and out of the car. You're breaking down the system, carrying it over. But uh, the advantage that this gave you was you could copy their disks while they were looking through and copying your disks. So um, that made things go a lot faster, obviously. Um, but like I said, this still wasn't a perfect system. One of the biggest drawbacks was you were still dealing with a single person. So uh, if this the person you were training with, if they only had a few programs you wanted, then uh, you know you might not be getting very much software. They might be getting more of yours. Uh, so it wasn't perfect, but it was obviously much faster than uh, just trading across the modem. So um, I did that quite a bit. I drove, uh, well, I had my parents drive me to a lot of people's houses. Um, some of them were adults. Some of them were kids my age. Uh, and I did a lot of software trading one-on-one -on -one with people. Now, somewhere along the way, 
I want to say I was probably 13 at the time. So this would have been 1984, um, 1985, somewhere in there. Uh, I found out about this local computer club called Univision. And I don't really remember how I heard of it. I think there was a local user group in my area and someone at that group had told me about Univision. Of course, around the same time, my parents were running their computer store. Uh, so it could have been someone through the store. Uh, they ran a, a local software store for about a year. And uh, so anyway, user uh, Univision was a uh, local computer group. There was a lot of these back then where people would bring their computers and get together like one day a month or something. And you would show off like... Uh, things you had programmed or people might do demonstrations and people would swap, you know, buy and sell hardware. So uh, a typical Univision meeting, I would say, probably had anywhere from 20 to 30 people attend. And it was like uh, you were supposed to pay a yearly fee if you went more than once or twice. And then uh, I think the yearly fee, I want to say, was somewhere like $20 or something. Uh, and then um, then you had to pay admission each time you went, which I think was $3. But the idea was, um, like I said, that you would go and, and share information and do the stuff. They had these long, uh, you know, uh, lunch tables set up and people would bring their computers. Uh, and then like any situation like that, you, uh, would kind of gravitate towards the people that were more like you. So for, for us, uh, my, you know, the people that I met were, kids my age, people that weren't old enough to drive, 13, 14, 15, like that. Uh, and the adults were in the front. So the adults were obviously um, more interested in doing modifications, hardware modifications, sharing programming uh, tips, things like that. But uh, we, the kids in the back, were um, more interested in just copying games, you know, because here you have these people and we all have our Commodore set up and we all have uh, our disk drives, and we all have our software collection, you know. And I do remember some of the adults kind of uh, frowning on what we were doing, you know. I don't know if they were wanted us to, if it was because they wanted us to pay attention to what they were doing, <laughs> or um, if it was the legality of, of copying discs. I don't know, but um, uh, but of course, what's funny is is whenever a hot new game came out or whatever, they all wanted a copy too. So it wasn't, uh, you know, like they were being. Uh, you know, super moral or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think we all had the understanding that we were doing something that we weren't supposed to be doing. Uh, and I could tell a million stories about Univision, but the point of Univision is that it gave me the idea, um, to have my own copy fest. Now, I'm not saying that I invented the copy fest. Um, I didn't come up with the idea, um, but I invented it in my world. In other words, um, I, I hadn't heard of other people that were doing this. I just came up with this idea, uh, you know, after attending Univision. And Univision was held in a uh, conference room in a hotel. And the, the money that they charged went to pay for that room, you know. So I got the idea that I could basically rent one of those convention rooms, you know, or a conference room and invite like 20 to 30 people and charge five bucks a head. And basically we would circumvent the whole Univision thing. We didn't want to have the user meeting. We would just all bring our computers 
um, and copy software. And so that's what I set out to do. Uh, the, the first thing I did was I went through all the BBSs that I called locally and I made a list of all the people that were uploading the newest and best software because, you know, you wanted people of, uh, the same level, the same caliber of software. You didn't want to invite people that were just going to copy stuff. You wanted people that, you know, that were going to have things that other people wanted. Um, so I made this list and, um, I started inviting people and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested if I held a copy fest or a, uh, you know, and, and that's the word I always used copy fest. I've heard people call it copy parties or disc parties or swap parties or whatever, but, but I called them copy fest. So I sent out these messages to people and asked them if they would be interested in coming. And they said, yes. So the problem, uh, the logistical problem that you, you see coming here is that I was 13 years old and I had no way of actually renting, uh, you know, a meeting room at a hotel. So there was this one guy, um, and I think his alias was the wizard. Now, you know how it is. Uh, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> and I, it seems like the one I think back, but there were multiple people named the wizard, but I'm pretty sure this guy's name was the wizard. Um, but anyway, he, he was a friend of mine. And so, um, it, it almost sounds like a, uh, like a, a drug deal or something. Um, like I'm cutting him in on the action, you know, but I told this guy, uh, I said, listen, uh, I don't have a credit card. So if you'll rent and, and we weren't, we hadn't met in person. I didn't know this guy that well. I had just, um, he ran a BBS and I was uploading games to him, you know? And so I told him about my idea and I said, I told him that I didn't have a credit card. So I said, if you'll, you'll rent this room up front, I will pay you back with the, you know, with the money. And I don't remember how much the room was. I want to say it was like 50 bucks or something. I mean, it was a lot when you're a kid, you know, but, uh, I talked to my parents about it and, uh, they said if I didn't come up with the money, they would loan me the money, you know? So, so anyway, um, but, but for the most part, they had no idea, um, that I was planning this or, or, you know, what we were actually going to be doing. I think they thought that, um, I mean, obviously my parents weren't dumb, uh, but, um, you know, I, I think to people that, that weren't in on the planning, it just kind of looked like we were doing our own, you know, version of Univision, just a, a computer group or a bunch of people getting together with our computers. Um, so anyway, uh, the wizard rented the room for us and everybody showed up. Like everybody that I invited showed up, you know, they, everybody paid their money and I paid the wizard back and, and um, I, I remember the wizard not having any idea really how old I was. I'm sure he thought I was older. Um, so it was kind of funny that most of us there weren't able to drive. And then there's this one guy, you know, in his 30s or maybe 40s. Uh, but he didn't care. He he got software just like the rest of us, you know. And so that's what we did. We all set up our computers and our drives. And we all brought our software. And we just kind of went from desk to desk. And we would look through people's discs and when you saw something, you'd take it back to your machine, make a copy and, and come back, you know, and it was so much faster than transferring stuff over the modem. I mean, keep in mind, like I said, if you were 300 baud and th these people weren't uh, 300 baud at this point, there, there was definitely a, a line in the, in the uh, digital sand, so to speak, 300 baud people 
uh, were the the people that were posting text or kids that were motivating or whatever. But if you were trading software, you had to have 1,200 baud. Nobody would put up with 300 baud at that point. Um, later, when 2,400 baud became available, the same thing happened. Uh, the the file traders were the first ones to adopt 2,400 baud. Uh, hey, there's the train I mentioned. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that, but um, there's a train. Hotel Podcasting 101. Lessons learned for everybody. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, so all these people showed up, and we're, we're swapping discs. And I, I remember at one point I had gone down to the lobby. I think we were going to walk next door to get or There was a, a, a snack, uh, snack machine or something. We had gone down, and the receptionist asked us what we were doing with our computers. And I said, well, we, you know, I invited a bunch of people, and we're all trading software. Uh, you know, just matter of fact, like, like that. And she just nodded and... I mean, like that was the most normal thing she had ever had. So, um, you know, back then piracy just did not have the um, social stigma that it has now. Um, and especially not in our age group, you know, kids. Uh, I mean, I think people knew that copying software was, was wrong per se, but, uh, like, like I said, it was nothing, nothing like it was today, you know? So after that first copy fest, uh, and I don't remember exactly how many people came, but, you know, let's say 15 people came or something like that, 15, 20 people, something like that. Uh, everybody left, and everybody went back to BBSs and posted about what a success it was <laughs> and how cool it was and um, what a great thing we had done. That obviously um, made me want to put on a second one. And... uh so that's what we did, but it, it was um, a few a few months later. I, I don't. I remember uh, the first one was right was in the fall, um, right before I had gone back to school because um, two of the guys that were there had uh, these really sweet mullets, <laughs> um, and uh, and just super long in the back, you know. And I remember telling my mom. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, I really want to have a haircut like that. And, and I remember we having talks uh, about how th- she, that their parents would probably make them cut it before they went back to school. So I remember it was right before school started. So uh, this could have been the fall of 85, maybe the fall of 86, one or the other. Um, and then I, I didn't have my second copy fest until the spring. And I remember it was really cold. And, uh, one of the guys, one of the mullet guys, his name was Mark, and he was friends with my friend Justin, uh, who went by Arcane. And uh, there's a lot of stories about Arcane uh, in Commodore, if you've uh, if you've read that. Um, so Mark had gone back and told my friend Justin uh, that uh, I was kind of a dork, but that I had a lot of good software, you know. So Mark was kind of this middleman that um, was involved in, in getting me and Justin together, which uh, is funny because neither of us have any idea where Mark is today, and Justin and I are still good friends. I talked to Justin earlier today. So um, uh, through uh, trading software on the Commodore in the mid-'80s, uh, we're still friends uh, almost 30 years later. But anyway, <clears throat> so... 
the second copy fest was at the same hotel. Uh, and like I said, it, it was really cold that day. And um, Justin and I were copying software. And um, I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly how it played out, but um, uh, Justin was asking if anybody would walk with him to go to McDonald's, which was a few blocks away. And uh, he was asking Mark. And Mark said, no, he didn't want to go to McDonald's or whatever. And so finally Justin said, okay, I'm going to McDonald's. And then Mark said, hey, while you're there, will you get me uh, some chicken McNuggets? (laughs) So he didn't want to go, but he wanted Justin to bring him food back. So I said, hey, I'll I'll go with you, you know. So uh, Justin and I ended up leaving the copy fest and walking to McDonald's. And so this is like our, our first time, I guess, uh, like our first adventure together, the first time we really met uh, and hung out. And on the way back from McDonald's, Justin dug Mark's Chicken McNuggets out of the sack, opened the box. And like I said, it was frigid cold. It was probably February, uh, January, February, something like that in Oklahoma. So it was really cold and one of those really windy days where the wind's just blowing through you. And one by one, he would take... Mark's Chicken McNuggets out of the box and just hold them up in the air trying to get them as cold as possible (laughs) which we thought was hilarious Uh, and so as we're walking these couple of blocks back to the hotel one by one we're pulling uh, the McNuggets out and and cooling them off and then when we got back we gave Mark the McNuggets and um, uh, I can't remember if he complained that they were cold or not but we thought that was really funny so that was really like the first um, bonding moment uh, that Justin and I had, but just like the first copy fest, the second one went off without a hitch. Um, we brought people together, people traded software, um, you know, no, no big, uh, issues. It went pretty well, but I remember that between the first time and the second time, the cost of the room had gone up. Uh, and so I was to do it a third time. I was either going to have to invite more people, which I was running out of people, uh, that were avid software collectors. Like I said, uh, you know, the copy fests were only good if people were bringing software that other people didn't have. So, um, I, I found a different hotel that I could get a room that was a little bit cheaper. And so our third copy fest, I don't remember what hotel it was. Um, but this would have been probably, it was in the summer. So it might've been later that summer, maybe the summer of 86, uh, maybe as late as 87. Uh, but, um, you know, I probably, it could have been 87 because, uh, in 87, I was 14 and I remember at one of these that, um, Justin had his driver's license for his, uh, for a Honda scooter. Uh, in Oklahoma, you could get a motorcycle license when you're 14. I remember he had one, and his birthday was in February, and I didn't have mine yet. And my birthday was in August, so um, I, I would suspect it was the summer of '87. So uh, we have moved from the Grand Continental Inn, which is where we'd had the first few copy fests. I don't remember the name of the the next hotel, um, but when we got there, this room was all it was in a basement. And there were steps, uh, there was like a staircase that led in from the side by the pool, and the pool had been closed. Uh, The pool was empty. 
and you went in this little down a staircase and uh, down to this room that smelled moldy and like half the lights were burned like they had fluorescent lights it was like meeting in a uh, a dank basement you know with carpet that smelled a little moldy uh <laughs> it was really terrible you know and and it, it um it definitely had a different feel in the first two because the first two like i said you're you're in a uh, conference room at a hotel it's very nice well lit and then this was like a storage like a storage room that they had converted or something and um one of the one of the memories i, I always have of this one was um we had uh like i said most of us weren't old enough to drive so uh the first thing we would do is go out and tr- see if there were vending machines you know where we could get snacks or whatever because these to get the most for our money you know we would we would hole up in these places for you know at least four or five six hours something like that so um we found this vending machine and it was like filled with uh, off-brand food like there was something yummios or something like that that was like oreos you know i don't remember what they all were but the one that i'll never forget was there was a sack um that looked like gummy bears or something but they were bigger and on the front of the bag it said chocolate covered gummy rats <laughs> and i will never forget those because uh jeff my friend jeff had come to this one as well and jeff bought a sack of chocolate covered gummy rats and they were every bit as disgusting as they sound um i mean they were chocolate covered gummy rats <laughs> what what part of that doesn't sound disgusting you know but it was hilarious um but yeah, and, and it was so hot in this room that I remember, uh, you know, I'm copying discs and you'd have a little bit of sweat uh, bead rolling down your face. And I, I kept getting chocolate on my fingers from these chocolate-covered gummy rats that were just melting. <laughs> so I have a very, very vivid memory uh, of that copy fest. But uh, I think that was the last copy fest that I held um, publicly, uh, in, in a hotel where we, where we paid money, uh, to rent a place. Now, a few years later, uh, well, maybe not a few years. I, I do remember I was old enough to drive. So this would have been, but I was in high school. So 89, I got my license in 89. So this could have been 1990, something like that. There was a, uh, another local sysop named Beach Boy, um, I couldn't even tell you why I fought with this guy all the time and for the life of me like I'm trying to remember why I can't remember why I think I just didn't like him and he didn't like me or something you know um, and, it, and it was uh, kid stuff so we would squabble you know like we would fight and then we would both have something we the other one needed so we would get along just long enough to do that and then we would start fighting again so um so anyway, uh, Beach Boy decided he was going to have a copy fest. Um, and his dad owned a TV repair shop. So, and they weren't open on the weekends, I guess. And so uh, his dad said that Beach Boy could have a copy fest at the TV repair shop. Uh, and he invited me, which was ridiculous because we really couldn't stand each other, you know. 
and uh, I, I went because uh, it was I was always tempted by uh, you know the allure of, of software. I, I got to the point where I had so much software, and I talked about this at Commodore, and I've talked about it before. It was never about um, playing the games, and, and for me, it was never it was never about that. Um, you know, Jeff, all my friends have given me uh, jokingly a hard time about that. That for me it was about the the competition, the collecting and the, and the building of the library, the organizing, the the uh, categorizing, the cataloging, all those things I enjoyed. Um, but very rarely did I play any of the games more than just a few minutes, you know. Um, but since I had so much software, some some of these um, people I would trade with. I mean, I might, it might be 10 to 1 or 20 to 1. You know, I would give a lot of software if I could get one or two things in return. So that's, I think, what I had hoped for at uh, Beach Boys Copy Fest. So I'm at this Copy Fest, and there are like four or five people here, and I would, I would call them a bunch of uh, Beach Boys lackeys, you know, people that um, were kissing up to him for some reason. I don't know. And, uh... I don't, I don't remember getting very much software, you know, but um, there was one hot game that had just come out, came out called uh, The Games Winter Edition. Now, that's different than Winter Games, uh, the part of the game series by Epix. This was called The Games Winter Edition. And it was a very difficult game to copy. I had a friend that had copied it for me, uh, but I wasn't able to make copies of it. And... Uh, so I got home, and within a few minutes, Justin called me on the phone. And Justin had not gone to this copy fest. So Justin calls me, and he says, Hey, uh, do you have the game's winter edition? I said, Yeah. He says, I want you to make sure you have it. Go get your discs. And I said, well, I know I have it. I know what number it is. He says, No, I want you to go get it. So I go, and I remember. It's funny how your memory works. I had numbered every disc, and the game's winter edition was on two floppies, and it was discs 179 and 180. Don't ask me why I still remember that. I always get my wife and my daughter's birthdays mixed up because they're two days apart, but somehow I remember the disc number of the game's winter edition from almost 30 years ago. So I pull out my disc box, and I'm flipping through my discs, and it goes 175, 176. 177, 178, 181. And there are two discs that are missing. And so I say, well, that's interesting. And Justin says, yeah. He says, uh, someone just called my board and sent someone else an email and said that they had stolen two discs from Jack Flack at a copy fest. Now, back in the BBS days, um, everything that happened, you know, there was only one person on a BBS at a time, uh, back then anyway, and uh, the sysop, if they were sitting at the computer, could see everything that the person was doing. So he had seen somebody emailing or sending a, a message to someone else stating that, and the person that had sent that uh, had um, been at the copy fest. So uh, I, I don't... I don't think that the whole copy fest was set up just to 
steal those two discs from me. I think it was, um, I felt like it at the time. Uh, but looking back now, especially, you know, thinking about kids that are 15, 16, you know, I think it was just a crime of opportunity and, and, uh, I did eventually get my revenge, which could be a podcast for another day, but, um, there were very few, uh, wrongs that went unrighted. (laughs) Uh, so, but yeah, um, so that was, uh, I think the last copy fest that I attended that someone else had thrown. Now there, there was one other copy fest that I do remember very well. Uh, and it was thrown by, I'm going to get these guys names wrong, but there, there was a BBS, uh, that my friend, uh, Klaatu kind of adopted is probably the best word for it. His neighbors ran a BBS uh, called The Enterprise, and it was dedicated to Star Trek, and all the uh, members, or uh, especially the staff members, changed their names, their aliases, to be affiliated with Star Trek, with the new Star Trek, so um, I don't remember what Klaatu... Uh, I don't know what he was, but I, I remember I was Chief O'Brien and uh, one of the guys was Captain Picard and one of the guys was Riker. And so um, so it was a whole Star Trek theme. But anyway, um, the the kid that was running it eventually went off to college. No, I think he joined the, the military, maybe the army or something. But um, anyway, he, he went on, uh, moved away. And so Klaatu basically adopted all this guy's hardware and uh, he and I retooled, well, Klaatu did all the work, but um, we reformed it, and it became known as the Wares Shop BBS. Wares obviously being um, slang for software or illegal software. Uh, so, yeah, subtlety was never, uh, you know, it's like getting a personalized license plate that says, you know, drug dealer. <laughs> I mean, wear shop BBS, you know, it is a BBS where we are going to be trading wares. <laughs> um, but, uh, so anyway, at one point, uh, Klaatu and those, the guys that had run the enterprise right before, you know, before it was wear shop, they had a, um, garage that had been converted, uh, into like a den and they had these tables in there. Um, and so we had a copy fest in there. I don't remember how many people came. I just remember it was, it was one of those, it was almost like, um, I mean, there were so many tables in this room that, um, it filled the room and then you just had to like weasel around that, the perimeter, you know? So once you, it was like, um, sitting in a corner booth at a restaurant. I mean, once you got into a position, you couldn't get out, you know? Uh, and so I just remember sitting in this room and sweating for hours as people are passing discs around and, and things like that, you know, but, um, I think that's really, uh, like the last, last BBS, uh, copy fest that I remember going to. Um, that would have been 91. I graduated in 91. So that it could have even been after high school. Um, but, you know, 
like I said again, uh, these are some of this is things I've mentioned in uh, Commodore, but um, I, I kind of got out of Commodore computers when I went to college. I went to college for two years, uh, three years, and um, we had Macs uh, in our computer lab there, so I, I started doing layout, and um, uh, you know, it was like this three year period where the Commodore slowly faded out of my life, and then by the time uh, that I was done with school, I everybody had an IBM clone. It was like this three-year, you know, little thing. So, um, and then with, uh, I got my, my PC clone, uh, 94, and uh, I think when I got it, it came with a 9600 baud modem, but I don't think I had that for long. I mean, it wasn't long before I had 14.4 and, and, you know, 28.8 came soon after that. And it wasn't a year or two before 56K. Uh, but even at 14.4, even at 9,600, really, uh, but at 14.4, um, technology had solved the problem that we were circumventing with CopyFest. And that was the speed factor uh you know uh, now software had grown in size as well think about commodore games filling up uh you know a 180k floppy and and a lot of the games we traded uh didn't even take up a full disc i mean if, if uh you know the cartridge dumps or whatever were 32k games so uh you know sending 32k over the modem was a lot smaller than uh, in the the PC days when discs started taking, you know, you're talking if there were three and a half disc uh, images, you know, it's 1.4 meg, and if a game took up one, two, three, four floppies, you know, so it was a bigger in size, but, uh, you know, 14.428, it just started flying. Uh, And so it began to be faster once again to trade software over the phone than it was to do it in person. Uh, and th- and that was the whole reason why we started my circle, why we started CopyFests. Um, like I said, once, uh, once you could call BBSs and there was new software and it was faster to get it um, over the phone, then we kind of went back to doing that. The, I, I wouldn't... It's not really a copy fest, but the last one that I that I would say is close. It, it was really kind of back to the one-on-one type trading. I think there were two or three of us, but um, uh, for a very short time, when I first got my PC, uh, I had uh, met a couple of guys that I was working with at uh, uh, Pizza Hut, and um, I would take my computer over to their house after work and we would use a lap link cable, which was a uh, uh, serial cable. Serial or parallel cable? It was parallel. Uh, parallel cable that would transfer data uh, at a mind-numbingly slow pace. <laughs> uh, it was faster than copying the disks, but it doesn't seem like it was much faster. Um, but uh, So we would, we would copy software, and I, and I spent a lot of nights taking my machine over there and, and um, building up a collection that way. But, uh, yeah, it really, like I said, it got to the point where uh, 
when it was faster to do it and not leave your house, obviously that was preferable. And uh, that's kind of what happened to copy vests. That's why we don't have them today. Other than they're massively, you know, illegal. And now it would probably get you thrown in jail. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and nobody wants to um, sit around and, and burn CDs and, and do that stuff. You just send it over your cable modem or whatever. And, um, and yeah, so... Uh, once again, it was a little slice of uh, old school history that got replaced um, by technology. And um, do I miss them? Yes, I miss them in the way uh, that I miss BBSs and that I miss uh, a lot of these topics uh, that I talk about on uh, You Don't Know Flack. I miss them in the way that... Um, uh, I like the getting together of the people. I like the party type atmosphere. I like the face to face meeting. Um, but uh, like BBSs, like a lot of those things, would I want to go back to doing it? Not really. Um, you know, if I need uh, MP3s or a program or something like that, I go to Google, you find it, you download it. Uh, you know, back then it was faster. It was more efficient, let's say, to drive to someone's house if you were going to copy five or six games uh, than it would be to transfer it over the phone line. Now, uh, I mean, it's, if you compared bytes to bytes, which isn't fair, um, but I could download, you know, those games of those same size faster than I can put my shoes on, you know. So, um, yeah, it was just really... Uh, just something that, that went away and um, no need for them anymore, but they were good times. I did enjoy doing them. So, um, but anyway, that, that pretty much wraps up my history of copy fests. And this wraps up, uh, you don't know flack episode one seventeen. This also wraps up my first podcast recorded in a hotel room and my first podcast recorded on the iPad. And I'm wondering right now, my face is three feet away from a hotel wall, and I'm wondering if the people next to me in room 825 are wondering what the hell I'm talking about over here. <laughs> Maybe they, they just learned all about Coffee Fest, so. Um, I think that's it. So, um, I will send this file to the home server. I'm going to do very minimal editing on this one, get it online. And uh, they won't be ready for 118. So that wraps up 117. If you have uh, any thoughts, suggestions, feedback, if you have uh, ideas for future shows, send those to me. You can email me at Rob O'Hara. That's R-O-B-O-H-A-R-A. Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Send me your feedback. Send me requests uh, for future shows. Any of that stuff. I love to hear it. That's really um, what keeps me writing what keeps me recording all that stuff uh and basically i live for your feedback uh and your money so you can paypal me for this show not really <laughs> um, i do it for free i do it for the love but um seriously though uh send me your email i'd love to hear from you all and uh, i think that about wraps it up so until next month this is uh 
me from the hotel in Washington, D.C., signing off. I'll see you next month.